Welcome to Reclaiming the Faith with Phil Baker, a podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. You can find links to all of Phil's resources at philsbaker.com. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Take a moment to share this podcast with your friends. Now, here's Phil. Hey, y'all. In episode 144, my wife and I get back into our Philippians Bible study, this week looking at chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and we discuss what Paul says is crucial to having true Christian unity. If you're blessed by this episode, please consider leaving a positive rating and review on my Apple podcast channel, Reclaiming the Faith. Also, I'm blessed to be a part of Omega Frequency along with BDK and Kurt, and very soon we're going to have a Ready with an Answer episode on that YouTube channel of ours, Omega Frequency Live, so please go and check that out as well. All right, well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get into episode 144. We're going to be going a little bit deeper into what it means to, uh, into the motivation behind living in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And so just to get, get things rolling, we're going to give a little bit of context. We, we are going to do uh, chapter two, verses one through four, but just to kind of start it uh, with context, we're going to go back to chapter one, verse 27. So if you got a Bible, you want to open it up to 127, we'll do that because the, uh, the first word of uh, chapter two, verse one is therefore or so. And of course, you know, the famous line, when you see a therefore, you need to know what it's there for. Exactly. What's the and therefore, therefore? The therefore, therefore. So you got to yeah. look back at the context to see why it's there. So going back to uh, verse 27 of chapter one, Paul writes, only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, in no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God." For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here to be in me. Okay, so he said to conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel by standing firm in one spirit, striving together with one mind for the faith of the gospel and not frightened. So this idea of unity and fearlessness. Therefore, if there is any encouragement in Christ, if there is any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in Spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfish 
ambition, sorry, do, sorry, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Mm. Amen. All right, let's dive into verse one. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any encouragement in Christ. All right, that word encouragement is perichalesis. Perichalesis, which sounds very similar to the word for helper or advocate used in John 14, the perichaletos, or you might hear it called the paraclete. And I should have said him rather than it. Hear him called the paraclete. Uh, as John, uh, Jesus is talking about the Holy Spirit in John 14. These words are very, very, very similar. Perichalesis is this call or urging done by someone close beside, a personal uh, exhortation that delivers the evidence that stands up in court. It's this intimate call, um, and it is used of the Lord directly motivating and inspiring believers to carry out his plan delivering his particular message to someone else. The core meaning of perichalesis is shaped by the individual context, so it can refer to exhortation, warning, encouragement, comfort, etc. cetera. Um, when, I, when I hear this uh, perichalesis, perichaletos, um, when I'm thinking about the advocate, this uh, almost like a defense attorney, it does take me back to... Um, just a, a few months before I turned 21, I got an MIP, and this is 19 years ago, but uh, I got an MIP, which is a minor in possession of alcohol. Are you throwing out how young you look? Uh, no, I'm just letting them know that this was a long, <laughs> long time ago. Yes, okay. Uh, but yeah, so I was at a bar in College Station playing a gig with my brother, and the place served this alcohol after our set, and I was going around like a hot shot with my cup uh, with alcohol in it and some undercover TABC people walked in. Of course, I didn't see them. And the guy tapped me on my shoulder. I turned around and looked and he's got his, his badge out and he says, let me see your ID. And uh, I was, um, I didn't try to run. I didn't try to make up any excuse. I just handed it to him. And uh, so, yeah, I had to do community service time. I had to pay a fine. And I had to go to six Alcoholics Anonymous classes. Uh, and that was the first time in my life, though, I'd had speeding tickets before that got dismissed by a judge. That was the first time in my life I had to stand before a judge with an attorney uh, present, a defense attorney. And um, while he was very encouraging, telling me, you know what, just let me handle this. It's going to be okay. Uh, you know, telling me not to joke. Don't, don't try to do any kind of nervous smile, smiles. Uh, yes or no, sir. Uh, all of that kind of stuff. Um, he did uh, warn me, basically, like, I don't know, just telling me how important it was that I not screw up again. Um, warning me about uh, the uh, effects of drunk, of being drunk. Um, lots of things. So there was this comfort. There was this these warnings, there was this challenging, there's this encouragement, 
all wrapped up as he stood there uh, beside me, helping me through that process. And uh, I know that's not a perfect picture of what Jesus does for us, but encouragement is not just telling us Paraclesis is not just, it's going to be great. Yeah. You can do it. Yeah. Not like you're, you know, that teach that picture of like your like first grade teacher or something like, you're fantastic. You can do anything. Yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a lot more than that. And it's, um, it's, it, it's a, you know, that kind of attitude of like, you can do anything doesn't really bring about reality. And reality is that you, you've messed up or you need to work in this area and by God's grace and by the power of Christ, like you can overcome this issue, but it's not that um, everything's cool. It's totally fine. You know, it's still sin. It's Mm. still falling short. Yeah. um, This idea of an advocate also comes up in uh, first John chapter two, uh, where uh, we're told, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate from the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one, right? He didn't just die for our sins, but for the sins of the whole world. And so this advocate, this one that uh, is an atoning atoning, atoning sacrifice, uh, he makes propitiation for our sins. That's another like legal term where you have uh, someone declared guilty in court. And then you could think about the defense attorney saying, I will pay the fine. I will take the punishment that's due to the guilty person. And of course, that's just incredible um, what Jesus does. Yeah. So Jesus is that like just incredible defense attorney who doesn't just stand up for us in court and offer us encouragement and uh, warning and uh, lays down his life for us. To see a little bit more of the picture of how great a defense attorney and advocate uh, Jesus is, jump to 1 John 3, 1. We talked about 1 John 2, 1 and 2. Let's go to 1 John 3, 1. And uh, thinking about the comfort that we get from Jesus's love, 1 John 3, 1, see how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, Now, we are the children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be, but we know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And that's just incredible, right? He's not just like laying his life down for us, but because of that, we are able, if we receive him, as John chapter one talks about, then we, he gives us the right to become children of God. And, you know, a child is going to take on so much of the characteristics of his or her parents because they share that DNA. It's like God's giving us his DNA in a sense to transform us from glory to glory into the image of the Lord, as Paul writes about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And that's just incredible. Just think about that love, not just dying for us, but bringing us into his family, but not just leaving us the way that we are either, but causing us to become like him. Mm. All right. And Philippians 2.1, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of his love, comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship of 
the Spirit. That word fellowship is uh, the koinonia. And we saw that earlier in Philippians, um, where it talks about us having participation in the gospel. And I'll highlight that here just for a second, and then I'm going to go to a little bit different aspect of it. But in Philippians 1.3, Thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all, in view of your koinonia, fellowship, participation, partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And we'll come back to that in a second. Okay, but if there's any participation, partnership, fellowship in the spirit, we're getting to participate, to partner with, to share with the Holy Spirit. Just want to highlight a few ways we see that happening in John. And I've already kind of been hinting on this, hinting about this. Uh, let's jump into John 14. All right. This is in verse 16. And Jesus is speaking to his disciples on his last night at that last supper. He's already washed their feet. Uh, Judas has gone out to betray him. And Jesus, Jesus has told them earlier that he, where he's going, they're not going to be able to follow now, but later they will. They get a little bit um, scared about where he's going, why they can't follow. Um, and Jesus tells them, it's going to be better for you that, um, that I'm leaving because I'm going to, I will ask the father, verse 16, I'll ask the father and he will give you another helper. That's that advocate, that's that parakletos, that helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. The helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I said to you. This is really cool. The Holy Spirit has been like guiding them along, leading them into relationship with Jesus. But later in John chapter 20, after Jesus resurrects from the dead and he appears to his disciples, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's when the Holy Spirit came into them. Mm -hmm. And then later, of course, we see in Acts chapter 1 where the Holy Spirit comes upon them um, with, in, and upon. All this stuff that the Holy Spirit is doing, and you see the work that the Holy Spirit does in these disciples' lives as he is helping them to become more like Jesus. You see them standing firm in one spirit, not being afraid, but being able to lay down their lives, loving uh, not their lives until, until, until the death. Um, just incredible courage and love, faithfulness, humility, all those things. You have anything in your mind? No, no, I'm just, I'm, in, I'm listening, yeah. All right. Here's a, a really interesting promise that we just kind of looked at in John 14, 26. Uh, but the helper, remember this parakletos, the um, defense attorney, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. 
Now, um, obviously, the direct, the direct promises to the disciples who had been with him for three and a half years and hearing all those words. For us, um, we, we remind our kids to do things over and over. Sometimes they act like they didn't hear us. A lot of times they did hear us. But you can't remember something that you never heard. You can't remember something that you never saw. And so the, um, the nature of this promise for us depends upon us reading the words of Jesus so that the Holy Spirit can remind us of those things that he said to us. So if you want to see that particular promise be activated in your life, you've got to get into the word. Yeah, I was just thinking about that this week. Like, uh, I think a lot of times we, yeah, if we don't have a good understanding of scripture and we don't study it and we just pick verses here and there that sound that sound good, then we obviously miss a lot of the context. But yeah, the idea of remembering it has to, in order for it to come back to mind, you have to have seen it before. And if you haven't read the whole way through the Bible, at least, um, then you're not going to be able to remember parts of it that you've never read. Uh, by the way, if you've never read through the Bible, I, I've done it the last couple of years with, um, it's a it's a chronological um, approach to it. And um, it follows, there's a, there's a podcast I listen to called The Bible Recap with Tara Lee Cobble. And um, it's really awesome. Each day they give you a couple of chapters you're supposed to read on your own. And then she'll kind of sort of help to give some context of what's going on before you go into each book. There's um, a summary you can you can listen to that's a couple of minutes and you just get so much more out of it. And even genealogies, things that you would never think have significance, you can, um, you can really get a lot out of. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Ron says, uh, recalling Bible verses that I forgot I knew coming back to the front of my head sometimes when talking to people about the kingdom of God. Yeah, that's, that's awesome, brother. I mean, things that we... <laughs> We can't remember if we've put in the time to actually read, though, the Holy Spirit does that supernatural work, bringing it to our mind at just the right time, to just the right word. Thinking more about the fellowship of the Spirit, uh, Jesus says in John 15, 26, that when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify about me. And you will testify also because you have been with me from the beginning of course, that immediate application obviously is to the apostles, but there's another there's another promise in there for us, basically, that you can see that if we have the Holy Spirit in us, the Holy Spirit's desire is to bring more people into God's kingdom because the Holy Spirit wants what God the Father wants. God the Father wants more people in his family. And how are people going to believe if they don't hear that message? They need someone to speak that message to them. And, you know, most people are not going to be in church services on Sunday mornings. The majority of people are not. They're not going to be reading their Bibles. They're just not. They need people, regular people like us, regular people like you, uh, in grocery stores, uh, in parks, at Ross, 
wherever, um, when crazy stuff happens, like you see a wreck, you know, yeah. just they need us in those moments to be able to uh, to testify yeah. of Jesus, to witness to the faith uh, in those special moments, those those divine moments that God has prepared for them to be able sometimes to receive the gospel right there, sometimes to just move them a little bit further. Uh, we don't know whether what, what part necessarily we're playing in that process, but we need to be able to be faithful to, um, yeah, to communicate the message that God wants us to communicate in that moment. Jennifer says, listening also helps with pronouncing names in the Bible. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, one more thing, Brian. Um, this is just kind of a, a way to remember things in general, and I think it's very applicable to the Bible. So I'm a teacher, and when I, but I, when I was in school, what I remember learning when I had to memorize stuff was they would say, teach it to somebody else. Mm. And that helps you to remember it because you have to talk through it. You have to explain it. And, um, and you could be teaching it as you're going through it. Um, and, but the, it's also accomplishing another purpose. You're, you're teaching somebody else and you're speaking that truth to yourself. So, um, so make sure when you get those opportunities, I don't know your situation in life. I don't know if you have kids or if you have parents that maybe you could do um, a Bible study with, or even just a friend and, you know, come, you know, we're going to read through this chapter and we're going to prepare as much as we can ahead of time. And we're going to talk through it. And I, I'm fairly certain that that will help a lot more things kind of stick because you're discussing it and you're being forced to kind of prepare. Yeah. There's that med school approach uh, to like surgery. Oh, right? see one, so do one, teach one. Do one, teach one, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a really good approach too. And Andrew, you're absolutely right when you're saying, you know, you can continue to read it over and over and um, more will be revealed that it never ends. I mean, that's right on. You can think about it like a tell, you know, like a big, like a mound, right? That an archaeologist is uh, excavating and they go lower and they can see things that were happening a hundred years ago, but you go lower and you start to get into, you know, aspects, things from 500 years ago and you go lower and you're getting into a thousand years and you just keep going lower and lower and lower. The city that was rebuilt over and over and over by different civilizations. The Bible is kind of like that. If you feel like you've exhausted it all, uh, you just need to dig deeper and you will begin to find more and more treasures coming up over and over, just like we're doing right now. Like I, uh, in 2012, I taught through the book of Philippians at a church where I was an interim pastor. And I didn't go verse by verse. I went maybe section by section. It wasn't like a chapter by chapter thing, but I was taking more of like a 10 to 12 verse at a time approach. And I also was far less experienced than I am now. And going at Philippians, uh, even after memorizing the book, Coming at it again, verse by verse, new life experiences, different commentaries, different approach toward Bible study, so many things. I mean, Stephanie, I'm sure you maybe get like a little bit frustrated every now and then. We're like, hey, I found something so awesome. <laughs> no, it's just funny because, I mean, it's it's awesome. It's like a little kid. It's exciting to yeah. uncover something new, especially when you've been studying the Bible for years. Like, I think that, that's awesome. Um no, I, I I tease you about that kind of stuff, but I really think I think it's awesome, and I think the insight that you've 
you've gained and that you, and and the fact that you're you're teaching it now to to other people is right. is really important for a retention of information. These you're I'm going to be more likely to remember things that we discussed here in a setting where we're dialoguing rather than just even stuff that I read on my own in the morning. Like this is going to be the stuff that sticks more. So yeah, yeah even right now we are we are participating in the spirit. We yeah. are fellowshipping in the spirit. Um, the Holy Spirit in you, Stephanie, is uh, stirring up the Holy Spirit in me, and the same going on with uh, those of y'all listening and commenting. You know, the Holy Spirit working in all of us to help shape and mold us, to refine us, to uh, change us, to become more and more like Jesus, to become more and more uh, infused with hope, and uh, spurring us on, uh, each other on, uh, in participating in the gospel. And, you know, we talked about becoming more like him is participating in the Holy Spirit, uh, testifying of him is participating, sharing with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants these things. And so when we're saying yes, we're participating in that as well. And uh, just want to come back to this. Um, so here's Philippians 1 again, uh, one three. When Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all in view of your participation, that fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. For I'm confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, uh, and I think it was like the second, um, maybe the second or third uh, series that, or not series episode, I guess that we did on Philippians. You saw me geek out a little bit about this term, good works, and how that's connected to the term gospel from a uh, like a Roman gospel point of view. You know, Philippi was a Roman colony, and because of that, Rome wanted to make Philippi look to the people in Macedonia as if you were visiting Rome. And so, basically, everything you could find in Rome, they wanted to put in Philippi because it was like an extension. Like you could think about here in, in Houston, we have this huge church called Second Baptist Church that's got, it's like one church, five locations or whatever. So basically like you have a campus in downtown, you have a campus in Katy, Texas, you have a campus in Which to Kingwood. the rest of the world, if you don't know how Houston is spread out, we call everything Houston, but everywhere else, this would be like five different cities. Like they're that far apart. And there are different campuses. cities. Yeah, but, and there are, yeah. But the whole idea is that when you go to the Kingwood campus or when you go to the Katy campus, you're getting the exact same experience that you would be getting if you went to the original campus. That's kind of the idea behind a Roman colony, that they want you to get the same experience that you would have in Rome in Philippi. And so they would do these things called good works in you, which would be putting up aqueducts, the roads, the statues, the temples, all of the things that you would see in Rome that are characteristic of Rome, they wanted to do in you. These are called good works. And so Paul, writing to this Roman colony, these Christians in the Roman colony, when they see good works, they know automatically, they know immediately what Paul is talking about, how he's making a connection between the gospel of Caesar being far less, far inferior to the true gospel of the kingdom of God, the gospel of Jesus, and the good works that Jesus is doing in you is going to be far superior uh, to that which Rome would do in a city. Those works that Rome would do in a city, you look at it today and, and what's the big deal? In time, those things fade away. Hmm. Well, it's 
crazy in the in the Christian life, these good works, in a sense, the things that Jesus is doing us is just growing greater and greater and greater and greater and greater. It's not diminishing over time. It's expanding, um, becoming far more immaculate and uh, grandiose in a sense. We're we're becoming shape. We're, we're being shaped more and more into the image of the Lord, as Paul says again in Second Corinthians. 3, 17, and 18. And of course, that's not going to uh, conclude at our death, but actually it's going to be become brought to its completion uh, with our resurrected bodies uh, after you know, Jesus returns, so, or when Jesus returns. So uh, just incredible what whole, the Holy Spirit is doing in us. And that, that should put in us uh, this encouragement, um, this comfort. So getting back into Philippians chapter two, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the spirit, if any affection and compassion, those two words are put together in Colossians when Paul tells us to put on, to clothe ourselves with affection and compassion. Uh, and it has an idea of affection and mercy. They're kind of put together. Uh, Splachnon being the uh, affection of Christ. You, I like that word. Splachnon. Splachnon. Yeah, uh, and 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 compassion and mercy. Um, I just wanted to highlight a, a quick verse, a quick passage from uh, Romans 11 as to why we should have an, this affection, uh, feeling that affection from God that would produce, feeling the affection and compassion from God that should produce affection and compassion towards others in us. So this is Romans chapter 11, starting in 11, uh, 33 and going through 12, 1. Because uh, you have another therefore right here. Okay? We want to know why it's there. Yeah. What's the therefore, therefore in 12, 1? You got to go back. So Romans eleven thirty three, Paul says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or become his counselor? Or who has first given to him that it may be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Just real quick there. Uh, you know, sometimes we, we get disappointed in God because uh, we've done these things for him. And we're like, why aren't you coming through? You know, you can, we can have that kind of a feeling in us that we may not be brave enough to say that out loud or prideful enough to say that out loud. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But um, we can sometimes have those feelings. What the heck, God? You know, I've done this. But yeah, our ability, we are not supposed to take pride in our wealth because the, even the ability to do that comes from here. No one is a self-sufficient person. Everything that we have in our life has that's good, as as uh, James one says, is from our heavenly Father, and um, it's from Him and through Him, and it is to be to Him because it's if it's His that He's giving to us, then we are called to be stewards, like the parable of the talents would say. Um, we are to use it for His good purpose, and uh, that's just incredible that we would even be allowed to be stewards. So I urge you, Paul says, by that incredible mercy of God, that we who are evil are receiving good things from our heavenly father. 
I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And if you go on to read in Romans chapter 12, you continue to look at it, you see this incredible um, call to be merciful in so many ways, to be kind in so many ways, to not pay back evil for evil, uh, all these, uh, to overcome evil with good, so many uh, different different ways of looking at being merciful and loving and showing uh, that kindness and affection toward others, others that we have had shown to us. All right. Uh, so Paul says, therefore, you know, there's any sharing in the spirit, any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, right? So he's been motivating them to stand firm uh, in the faith, to, uh, what does it say? I just had a brain, mm, like an Energizer bunny ran out of batteries moment. <laughs> But to stand firm in one spirit, to strive together for the faith of the gospel and not show any fear. Why? Paul's saying because of the encouragement we have in Christ, the comfort in his love, the fellowship of the spirit, his affection and compassion. And he's saying now, and also you can make my joy complete, basically, by being united in that one approach, having that same mindset, being as if like you're one soul, all together uh, in this. And um, I just thought, as I was looking at that a, a couple of hours ago, again, this like make my joy complete. He had already said that um, he prays for them with joy. Uh, if you remember that, every time he prays for them, he prays with them in joy because of their participation in the gospel from the first day until now. But he also said later in, in chapter one that there, there are certain um, preachers there in Rome who are trying to bring Paul harm. They're trying to bring Paul harm and by preaching the gospel, thinking that, you know, Paul is in, he's in prison in Rome. And so Paul's going to get upset by seeing other people uh, maybe being praised or maybe being looked up to or being admired or just seeing new people come to the faith uh, through someone other than him. They think they're going to make him really upset. And you could, and these people have selfish ambition. We talked about them being like mercenaries. They're almost like hired guns. They don't care about the people that they're preaching to. They don't care about the crowds. They care about themselves. They're only basically exploiting Christians and exploiting churches for their own personal uh, exaltation, their own personal gain. And um, it's interesting that Paul is saying, like, these guys are trying to, you know, trying to bring me down by doing this. And I was just trying to put myself into the mind of a reader or a hearer of that letter, the mind of one of the Philippians that were uh, hearing that that letter read and these people love Paul. And I can just imagine, and maybe I'm imposing too much of myself into the text, but I could imagine being there going like, I don't want to be one of those guys. I want to make Paul 
proud. I, I want to make Paul feel joy in this time, you know, because of all that God has done through him. I don't want to be one of those rascals that's being selfishly ambitious. Rascals. <laughs> Sorry. But <laughs> a little bit of country yeah. Aubrey coming out. Um, I want to make him proud. And, and I can just imagine Paul being like, oh, you want, yeah. you want to make my joy full? Be unified in that one purpose having the same love, being united in spirit, and intent on one purpose, one mind, one attitude. And you're going to see next week how he really describes the attitude of Christ Jesus. Um, was that Amos, like, howling downstairs? I don't know. Okay. I, I think this is, as a parent, I feel like I understand this phrasing really well. Um, because I tell our kids all the time, like, something to the, maybe not this eloquent, but like, if you want to make me proud, like, you know, be, be kind to each other and, and do the things that we've taught you to do. I mean, those are the two main things. I feel like when they're bickering, you're like, why? Like God has given you each other to go through life with. Why do you want to be at odds with each other? Um, you know, someday we're not going to be here anymore. And it's probably going to be, you know, you guys, and we want you to have um, a relationship that's that's you know loving and full of kindness and we and we want to see them carry on the teachings that we've that we've instilled in them so yeah I see it like Paul being very much of a parent figure like just this is what I want you see me suffering this is what I want for you is for you to do these you know basic things yeah. Uh, yeah, everybody, y'all, y'all are right. Uh, Byron asked, Paul's in prison, right? Brian. And Brian, I'm so sorry. I'm dyslexic. Some people would say listexic. Um, but yeah, was that, that was lame? Yeah, it's just overdone. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Um, and yeah, it's somewhere between like 60 and 62. Uh, it's, it's not like dungeon prison at this point. He's kind of in like a house arrest, uh, super quarantine kind of thing. You could think, uh, but he's for quarantine. But uh, yeah, okay. uh, he's got you know a jailer with him. We don't have a a military guard. No, we don't with You're us right. all the time. You know, and he doesn't know if he's going to be executed. I mean, he believes that he's going to get out and be able to get to Spain and stuff like that. But um, he doesn't know, as we covered earlier in chapter one, um, he may die. And we're not just sitting there thinking they, uh, as we have a, a military guard with us, this guy tomorrow may put me to death. Now, uh, you, you see how important unity is to Paul, but it's not unity for unity's sake. And it's not unity for um, a particular uh, local church's sake, you know, the institution's sake, uh, a pastor's sake so much. It's unity for the sake of the gospel. Yes, it's going to make his joy complete. But if they're intent on that one purpose of participating, furthering the gospel, pro progressing in the gospel, it's all about the gospel for Paul, being advanced to the ends of the earth. He really wants to accomplish that mission. That is why he wants them unified. And to have not the same mind as Paul, not necessarily not to have the same mind as um, anybody in Philippi, he wants them to have the mind of Christ. We're going to dive into that so hard uh, next week. 
But um, I do want to highlight briefly, you know, there are, there are two different types of unity that you could think about. You know, there's a holy unity and there's an unholy type of unity. You see both in the Bible. If you're thinking about uh, unholy unity, uh, you see that in... Uh, the Nazis. Or are you talking about in the Bible? In the Bible, oh, okay. you see it in the beginning in Genesis chapter uh, 3 with Paul and... Sorry, Paul, with Adam, Eve, and the devil unified against God. That's a very unholy unity. It's not unity in and of itself that brings God joy. Um, you see it later in uh, Genesis with the Tower of Babel, with the whole world united under Nimrod to basically ascend into the heavens to make war on God unholy unity. You see it at the end of the Bible where the whole world is following the beast again to make war on God. Those are, the unholy unity is not just something that God uh, disapproves of. It's something that he wars against. Um, but holy unity is something that is incredibly powerful for advancing the gospel. I did, oh yeah, I wanted to highlight one other unholy unity thing, and I'm not going to read the whole thing just for time's sake, but you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 19 when Paul is in Ephesus, and he has been doing incredible discipleship there in the lecture hall of Tyrannus, and basically all of Asia Minor has heard the gospel, and so people are turning away from idols, and so the economy of Ephesus depends on these uh, silversmiths making idols because you have the temple of Artemis in Greek or Diana in Rome there. And it's a major part of the economy and people are throwing away their idols. They're not buying idols anymore. And so these silversmiths are losing money. And um, Demetrius, one of the silversmiths who makes shrines for Artemis, he tries to have Paul uh, tossed into an arena, basically, and gets a whole mob together. And this mob, for a few hours, at one point, shouts, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine that? Uh, that Every time I read that passage, I'm like, they, they did what now? Like, for hours, just for hours. saying that over and over and over. For two hours, yeah. Two hours, they're there shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. It's crazy. That's And they didn't get bored. You know, I mean, you would think it, that. Yeah. Like, I mean, we we you've been to games like Astros games when they do the wave. Oh yeah. And that's like when you're a kid, that's super fun, right? When you're a kid for the first. And it goes, and you minutes. can even be like really pumped, pumped for it for yeah. ten minutes as a kid. Like this is incredible. And though, e even as a kid, after about ten minutes, you're like, I'm not sitting up. I might put my hand up, but I'm not going to scream and I'm not going to stand, right? Or so, the people that shout defense the entire time anybody is on defense. Yeah, but <laughs> offense eventually comes. Yeah. You know, and, but these people are shouting for two hours and you you can just imagine that's demonically yeah, inspired. That, I mean, it has to be, right? Right. And this is a terrible type of unity. Mm. Just terrible. So um, just want to continue. Remember, Paul said that, that you would make my joy complete by being unified. Paul's not just coming up with that off the top of his head. It's something that his master, his king, talked about. And I do want to read this because Jesus talks about a um, holy type of unity in John chapter 17 there in his high priestly prayer. Jesus says, 
now I come to you, speaking of Jesus coming to the Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they, speaking of his disciples, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves, made complete. But now I have come to you and, and these things I speak in the world so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I've given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I do not ask to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. So sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Truth is a very important theme that you see running from John 14 to 17. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Uh, as you sent me into the world, this is verse 18. As you sent me into the world, I have also sent them into the world. What do you think that means, Steph? Like, how did God send Jesus into the world or how or why? And then how or why is Jesus sending his disciples into the world? Uh, well, Jesus was sent with a mission, with a purpose. And Jesus sends his disciples out and gives them commands and tells them to, you know, um, to be his ambassadors throughout the world. Yeah. It's a representation. I mean, they're the Christians were a little, they were little Christ, right? They were, they acted like Jesus. So this is God sending Jesus is sending a, sending God in human form. Mm. And um, in a similar manner, Jesus sending the disciples is sending people to the ends of the world. Mm. Yeah. And the only thing I would add to that just off the top of my head is um, like how Jesus was depending upon the Father. Mm. We are called to depend on Jesus. Right. The Holy Spirit, the Father as well. Same kind of manner. Like I only say what I hear the Father saying. I only do what I see the Father doing, that kind of stuff. Right. Emptying yeah. ourselves, taking on the nature of a servant, um, having that humble approach toward others not looking out for our own interests, but for the interests of others, all that kind of stuff. So uh, for their sakes, continuing in John 17, verse 19, for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also be sanctified in truth. Mm. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Think about the uh, incredible union of the father and the son. We are called to be similar to that, that just incredible unity with God. Mm. But in the same manner that Jesus was unified with the Father, we are called to be unified with him too. And as we're doing that, we're creating all of these like fork in the road moments for people where they, it is undeniable to them that they have encountered uh, the truth from God. They are brought to a decision point. Um, they... Uh, are forced to choose whether or not they believe that Jesus was sent by God as the Messiah, the Son of Man. 
And then he continues, verse 22 of John 17. He says, the glory which you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me, that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know again that you sent me and love them even as I have loved you. Think about the incredible unity he's talking about us having with him. It's not unity for unity's sake. It's not unity around a pastor's vision or mission statement. It's unity with God. Us all individually, honestly and humbly having unity with God produces unity with each other. If I'm truly being unified with God and humbling myself before him, and you are doing that, we are going to be on the same page because it's the same Holy Spirit working in us that we're fellowshipping with that's providing this unity. How do you think you realize if you're, um, you're, you're unified behind um, maybe a cause or a person rather than in the Holy Spirit? Test the spirits. Yeah. What is Test it to see whether this is biblical, whether this is worldly. Is this a fleshly type thing that I'm being called to unify around? Or is this truly for the, I mean, you just have to test it and have some discernment and use the word and compare it to Jesus. Yeah, I guess this is another one of those times where knowing your Bible would be really beneficial, right? So you, because I mean, I've seen some really good or um, from an earthly perspective, very good leaders who use scripture as a weapon to to keep people in line and to to cause injury and um they they know their bible better than most of the people that they lead so um so i think they that's part of how it's easily done mm. right so i guess encourage you guys to um study your bible more and more so that you're not tossed by the waves you know that come and go Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, Paul kind of gets into what you're talking about in Philippians 2, verse 3. Yeah. Paul writes in Philippians 2, verse 3, Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind regard one another as more important than yourselves. Don't merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Remember, this this word selfishness is coming right back to what Paul talked about in chapter 1 when he's talking about these people who are preaching Christ not from pure motives. The mercenary. Yeah, this mercenary mindset. And that word uh, selfishness is, uh, yeah, it's synonymous with this strife. Mm. And uh, yeah, it is very self-seeking, wanting one's own personal gain, regardless of the strife it causes, regardless of the discord it causes, they're going to want their way. And woe to anyone who comes in their way. You know, and Paul is saying, no, that is absolutely abhorrent and um, antithetical to the person and mission of Christ, um, the character of Christ. And he also says that it is, in a sense, empty. It's, it's, um, yeah, this is such a neat little passage I'm going to put up. Y'all can't see what I'm looking at, but let me put it up here. No, you can. Yeah. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. Uh, This was one of those aha moments for me uh, this week, this word empty conceit. Um, 
It's a state of pride, which is without basis or justification. All right. So someone being like, you could think about a lot of the uh, boasting that we see uh, yeah. in sports. Boasting oh, yeah. that's really without any basis or justification. Immediately when, when um, I saw this, what I thought about uh, was um, youth ministry. And not, not anything about the kids, but more about me. Uh, yeah, so uh, boasting without cause. No. You know, being uh, in my 20s, my mid-20s, really in my like athletic prime when I was in youth ministry, starting out in youth ministry, you're going up against sometimes, you know, 12-year-olds <laughs> in basketball yeah. and football and all kinds of like gladiatorial events, like from American gladiators oh, yeah. at, at camps and disciple nows and stuff like that. And me being my prime, it was pretty easy to feel. I mean, it was I would feel really good about myself, you know, knocking a kid in the head with a dodgeball. And uh, I can attest just, to all these things. To destroying, you know, these kids <laughs> in sporting events. And it's like, Phil, you're playing against children. Yeah. This, this boasting of yours, this feeling, you know, so proud of yourself and mm -hmm. pumped up is so without cause. Like, yeah. this is completely unjustified. Yeah, you really like putting those little kids in their place. Yeah. It also makes me think of, you know, you and our son play video games and you are so proud when you beat him. And, <laughs> and really you want to, this is a little bit different. Yeah, I guess so. But you want to like brag about it. And I'm like, I don't care. Those video <laughs> games are not my world. <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's meaningless in the end, right? This is not something that's going to like. Yeah really advance the gospel or anything like this. So yeah. Kathy says she can beat her six-year-old great-nephew. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> when it, feel, says, it feels good. Dodgeball. But you know what doesn't feel good? In a few years when they can beat you at everything. Yeah, yeah. So I have to enjoy <laughs> this time while it lasts, right? No, no, no. No, but um, it's, it's interesting. You see this word come up again in Galatians 6. Vain conceit or empty conceit. It, it's also boasting. And I'm going to put this passage in Galatians 6 up because it's, to me, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Now he's getting into like judgment, uh, judgment day talk here. Uh, just briefly, let me get, give a little bit of context. In Galatians 6.1, it talks about how if any brother is caught in a trespass, uh, which is like, generally speaking, it's not just like a sin. It's like this intentional stepping, crossing the line kind of thing. You who are spiritual ought to restore such a person with gentleness uh, so that you too will not be tempted, right? Uh, and so we're supposed, 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 not supposed, we're supposed to seek someone, <laughs> supposed to, we're supposed to, yeah, we're supposed to uh, try to help someone uh, be restored in the faith with an attitude of gentleness. Uh, and I've been in situations where we've tried that. Um, so that we're too not tempted by that same um, sin mm -hmm. or by this sin of boasting or empty conceit. If anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself, but each one must examine his own work. And then we will have reason for boasting in regard to and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. For each one will have to bear his own 
load. Um, yeah, that's, um, to me, it's interesting because so often, uh, like when I was, uh, when I first became a Christian, right at, at like 16, that's when I believe I, I it started for me. Um, I thought I was a pretty good kid. I thought, you know, the only thing I really have a problem, you know, I've struggled with is like drug addiction and alcohol. But other than that, I'm, I'm, those are like my only sins. Because so, I would like look at other people and compare myself to other people. And of course, that's just absolutely foolish, right? Because uh, those were not core sins. Those were just uh, like leaves on a tree, not the branches or the trunk. Um, this idea of selfishness, um, arrogance, pride um, could go on and on uh, are more of those core issues that we're dealing with. And of course, we're not being compared to one another on judgment day. We're being compared to the righteous one. As uh, 1 John chapter 2 talks about, we are not going to be judged according to the uh, life of our brother or sister, but according to the life of Jesus, the embodiment of righteousness. And so, um, you know, if, if we're thinking I'm doing, I'm pretty good because I'm better than that rascal, um, if you're in the country, yeah, uh, then, um, that's, that's some unnecessary, that's vain conceit, empty conceit. Mm. Doesn't mean we can't try to, we can't call people out from time to time. It doesn't mean we can't, uh, try to urge someone to repent, try to seek their restoration. Of course, we just need to try to do that. Um, not comparing ourselves to them, but, uh, comparing ourselves to Jesus and just letting him guide us. So with that in mind, continuing with Philippians 2, verse 3, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves, not merely look out, looking for your, out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. This humility of mind is really neat. This lowliness, humility, it's an inside-out virtue produced by how do we have this? It's just incredible, this definition from Strong's. It's produced by comparing ourselves to the Lord mm. rather than to others. This brings behavior into alignment with this inner revelation to keep oneself from being self-exalting, self-determining, self-inflated. It means living with complete dependence upon the Lord with no reliance on the flesh. So, Jenny's comment? No, I did not. Jenny said, my mom always said not to compare yourself with someone else because you'll either become conceited or disappointed. Amen to that. But yeah, and, and you see this idea um, of humility uh, comparing ourselves to the Lord in that Galatians 6 passage. Just want to put it back on the screen again. You can see what we already covered, right? And going to verse 4, each one must examine his own work and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not another for each one will bear his own load. Like my mom's not going to be able to stand up for me at the judgment day and be like, but he's my baby, you know? <laughs> to what if she could? <laughs> yeah, she would if she could, but it won't matter. <laughs> yeah. uh, but verse 14, may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So Paul, and I know I skipped a whole lot of verses there, but he's continuing on this he's coming back rather to this idea of boasting. And he's like, I'm not going to be boasting of my righteousness, guys. 
on that day. The only thing that I'm going to be boasting of, lifting up, exalting, is what Jesus did. I got nothing. Yeah. You know, to come back to like the sports example, it's kind of almost like, I mean, I can't imagine like in, in, I don't know, bragging, being like, we have the best coach in the world. Like our players are all right, but our coach is the best in the world. And I mean, it's like, it's boasting in somebody else that is, you know, that you're putting complete trust in and all of the end result comes back to them, not to you or your ability. Yeah, absolutely. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, all right, I'm going to try to wrap this up. Uh, I, I want to read now the whole passage and then look at those last few verses and uh, a picture basically in Scripture of the church living out those last few verses. All right. Philippians 2.1. Therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if there's any consolation or comfort from his love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. So here's the example of this. People being encouraged from Christ, uh, comforted by his love, having the fellowship of the Spirit, and having that then affection and compassion, being unified and looking out, putting other people's needs above their own. Of course, it's from Acts chapter 2. All right, now I'm going to start with the end of Peter's sermon that day on Pentecost. These are like the closing, the closing sentence. So therefore, after he's quoted all of these scriptures, proving that Jesus was the Messiah who died, who lived, died, and rose for us. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. And with many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. And they, our dog is snoring. I was wondering what that sound was. That's Zeke snoring. Yeah. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone kept feeling a sense of awe and many wonders and signs were taking place through the apostles. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common. And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing with all, them with all, as anyone might have need. 
day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. And just think about that, what went on in Acts chapter 2 in light of what Jesus prayed, right, in John 17. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into their world, into the world. I ask that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I've given to them that they may be one just as we are one. I in them and you in me that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Just really cool stuff going on. You see part of the answer to that prayer from Jesus in John 17 happening in Acts 2. And the same Holy Spirit who was helping believers participate in him and in the gospel is here with us today. So with Paul, my prayer for you tonight from Romans chapter 15, verse 5. Now, may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, so that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Time fades like reflections in my review. change faster with each passing year but you remain a constant source of strength through my trials and pain you consistently Oh